Okay, let's learn Parsha's bow as we continue these Parshios of uh, exile and redemption. What I, we're going to focus on a couple of psukim in the beginning of Perak Yudbeis on page 348. But just to put it in context, we're going to go back a little bit just to, uh, to get started. Beginning of the Parsha on page 340, uh, we are opening up in between the seventh and eighth plague. Seven plagues already were done in last week's parsha, and our parsha therefore opens up with the introduction to plague number eight, and that is the plague of Arbe of locusts. Moshe comes in as he does. Uh, there's always a pattern. There's a, a warning to Paro, uh, a warning at the Nile, and then a warning. The second, the next one is a warning in the palace, and then the th- third plague just happens on its own. And that, that repeats itself uh, several times. So here Moshe comes to uh, Paro, and he warns him about this plague of Arba. The language of the Psukim is very strong. It's going to be kol mag- oh, a horrible plague. It's going to be, uh, you know, to destroy everything. The servants of Paro actually say, like, enough already. Just let these people go. We can't handle it anymore. And he convinces Paro to bring Moshe back to hear from him. Moshe asks, excuse me, Paro asks uh, the question of mi v'mi ha-holchim. Okay, fine, he says, I'll finally, I'll let you go. Who's going? Who's going? And Moshe has a beautiful response that reverberates throughout all of Jewish history, one of my favorite lines in all of Chumash. Moshe says, bina'areinu uvizkeneinu neleich. We're going with our youth. We're going with the elders. We're taking everybody. This is not a, a men's club trip. This is not a, an exclusive club. It's been arenu uviz Every Everybody's going on. Paro says, what? That's crazy. Why would you take everybody? I don't go over this. And then Paro throws him out. And then the seventh, the eighth plague hits. That is, of course, of Arab, as I mentioned, locusts. Then the Torah introduces the ninth plague. And that is Choshach, the plague of darkness. Torah describes how uh, darkness descends uh, um, on uh, the land of Mitzrayim. And um, at the end of that one, uh, Paro sends out Moshe and says, I don't ever want to see you again. And then we get an introduction to the tenth plague. That begins in Parakut Aleph on page 346, in which Hashem says to Moshe, okay, we did the nine. We did the three patterns of the three. Now, before number ten, this one's going to be different than everyone else. I have one last plague to send. Paro's for sure going to send everybody out on, uh, on this one. Not only that, you're going to ask, tell the Jewish people, in verse 2, you'll see, to borrow from their friends uh, golden vessels and silver vessels. They're going to take clothing. We're out of here. This is the last and final plague that's coming. Everybody's going to gather their stuff. And uh, he describes it in Pasuk Dalit. Moshe says to Paro, he warns him, right at around midnight, Hashem is going to go out. And everybody is going to die. All the firstborns, I should say, accurately, are going to die, but the Jewish people are not going to be affected. Not even a dog is going to bark. You see that in verse 7. Even the dogs will be silent for the Jewish people, from which eventually they're repaid when the Torah describes a piece of non-kosher meat. If an animal dies without appropriate shechita, so you can't eat it. So what should you do with it? So the Torah says, Send it to the dogs. So the Gemara asks, just, just tell me I can't eat it. You don't have to tell me what to do with it. I can't eat it. I can't eat it. So no, the Torah says, in, in reward for the fact that the dogs kept silent in Mitzrayim as the Jews were leaving, they didn't even disturb with their barking. So the Torah says, oh, you can't eat it. So you'll send it off. You'll send it off to the, uh, to the Jews. 
Um, and, uh, and then I guess that's all the, a long introduction. Now, the introduction to the 10th plague continues. Not only in what Moshe says to Paro what's going to happen, how Bachatzi Halayla, all the firstborns are going to die, and he gives a whole, every firstborn, from the, from the prisoners in the jails, to the regular Egyptian, to you, Paro, every firstborn is, uh, is going to die. And then, before the plague begins, we get a special introduction to the Jewish people. And that introduction, of course, includes the Korban Pesach, because this plague, the 10th plague of the death of the firstborn, is the only plague in which the Jew would actually have been affected by the plague if they don't do something. Meaning, all the other nine, what did a Jew have to do to avoid the plague of dam, of blood? Nothing. Just sit in your house. You're not going to have any blood. What about how to avoid Svardet? Nothing. Kinim, nothing. The Jew did nothing. And naturally, part of the plague, and the Torah describes it explicitly, part of the learning process of what was going on in the plagues was, I'm going to distinguish. I'm not just going to send a plague and it like wipes out everybody. You're going to see, I control everything. No Jew will be affected and only the Egyptians will be affected. The Jew had to do nothing to be protected from the first nine. But number 10 was not that way. If a Jew were not to bring the carbon Pesach, as the Torah describes at length, and, and shech the carbon Pesach and put the dam on the doorposts, what would have happened to a Jew who doesn't do that? Firstborn would have died. This is the only one of the 10 which was required to, be, to do something in order not to be impacted. I once said, there's a Rav Yeshua Hartman. He's a, a contemporary Rav who lives, he lived in Israel, lives in England now, he's American-born. He described, I once heard from him, um, the, the example of this is if, if you live in a high-rise apartment building and you're on the uh, 19th floor and somebody on the 10th floor sticks their head out the window and pours a cup of water out the window. So you up there on the 19th floor, are you affected by that? No. Not at all. What about the 12th floor? No. 14th floor? No. 18th floor? No. I'm on the 19th floor. I'm higher than them. You can pour water on all you want. It doesn't bother me. But what if somebody on the 21st floor still, you know, pours water out their window? Well, if you're sticking your head out looking what's going on, you're going to get wet. So they said all the makos came from a place, so to speak, below the spiritual stature of the Jew. The Jew wasn't affected. But makos b'chor says, anivalo malach, anivalo saraf. Hashem says, I'm coming. I'm coming direct. Well, guess what? Even the Jew had to make sure that they were in order, so to speak, on the right team in order not to be affected by that. And so they had to go through the whole process of the Karn Pesach. And that's described here in Perak Yud Beis. So that's the major introduction. So now it's in between 9 and 10. Paro gets a special warning, like this is really it. And then the Jewish people get, now you need to know what you have to do to get ready for this 10th and final plague of Makas Bukharos. That introduction of the Karn Pesach, which is the bulk of Perak Yud Beis, um, all the details of how to bring the carbon Pesach, how to get the animal ready, what you do with the blood, how the pace, the matzah, the mar, all of that is in this parak. There's a two-pasach introduction to that introduction. So before we're told about the carbon Pesach, which is what we need to do to get ready for the 10th plague, there's a two-pasach introduction to the introduction. And that's what we're going to learn today. That's all the introduction to the introduction to the introduction. And now we're ready to learn. Here we go. Parak Yud Beis, pasach th- uh, page 348. Again, we're, we're in between 9 and 10. Plagues 9 and 10. We had an introduction to the introduction. What's the introduction, Pasuk? Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron and Eretz Mitzrayim saying, okay, what jumps out? Two points are of note in this particular Pasuk that we have to focus on for a moment. 
Who's Moshe speaking? Who is Hashem speaking to? Moshe and Aharon, almost, we didn't really go through all the other times that Hashem spoke to Moshe, but almost every other time that Hashem gives Moshe an instruction, he's usually speaking to Moshe. If you just want one example, look at the top of the page. Look at verse 9, Pasuk Tes, Vayomer Hashem El, El Moshe, Lo Yishma Aleichem Paro, Paro's not going to listen, but who did, who did Hashem speak to? He only spoke to Moshe, that's the general pattern. Yet here, when we introduce this Paragraph of the Korban Pesach. Who is Hashem speaking to? Moshe and Aharon. We'll get back to that in a moment. Where is he speaking to him? Did you have any other thoughts as to where he was going to be? Where are we? Where have we been since the beginning of the Sefer? We're in the 12th parak. We haven't gone anywhere. Moshe has been spoken to many times at this point. Of course they're in Eretz Mitzrayim. They're not, they haven't gone anywhere else. Okay, so let's talk about these two points before we get to... Well, let's read one more puzzle, then we'll get back to them. What is it that he says to Moshe and to Aaron in Eretz Mitzrayim? Ha-chodesh lochem, rosh chodoshim. This month, this month is going to be for you the rosh chodoshim. How would you translate that, rosh chodoshim? The beginning of the months. The first of the months, the rosh chodoshim. Rishon hu lochem, it shall be... The first to you, Luchachei Hashanah, out of all the months of the year, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> this month is going to be the, the first of the months of the year. Which month is he referring to? What month are we in? Nisan. Nisan. We're in the month of Nisan, the month of which Pesach, of course, takes place. This is on Rosh Chodesh. How far away are we when Hashem is speaking this? How far away are we from the big moment of redemption? Exactly two weeks. Excellent, right? That happens on the night of the 15th. Two full weeks from now, when Hashem says to Moshe and to Aaron, this is Rosh Chodesh, and this is going to be the first of the months, and I have a commandment for you, and that's going to be, take the carbon Pesach, all the things that are going to happen in the next couple of psukim. But the introduction to him is this mitzvah of Rosh Chodeshim, this first of the month, and this is the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. This is the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. This HaChodesh Hazel Lachem. Rashi points out the language Hazel. Hashem like pointed to the new moon on Rosh Chodesh and said... When you see it like this, you'll sanctify it, you'll declare it to be Rosh Chodesh, and this is where we learn the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh, the mitzvah of declaring Rosh Chodesh, a major component of the Jewish calendar. Our calendar today, of course, has been set. It's arranged. You can, if you want to look up when your great-grandson's bar mitzvah is going to be, you can look it up. It's already set, we know. But it wasn't always that way. It wasn't until the destruction of the first base of Mikdash um, the second base on Mikdash, excuse me, when the sages saw, if we don't set the calendar and sanctify it now, we're not going to have witnesses, because it used to be the witnesses would come, they would see the new moon. You ever notice on Shabbos, when we bless the new moon, right? When the, the rabbi or the gabbai announces, the new moon can be seen, the mola can be seen in Eretz Yisrael on Tuesday night at this exact time. So it used to be witnesses would see that, go to Yerushalayim, they would testify, and the Beisden would declare it to be Rosh Chodesh. That was very important, because if you didn't have Rosh Chodesh, you can't have Yantiv, you can't have anything. Everything falls apart without Rosh Chodesh. So when the Beisden Mikdash was about to be destroyed, and we were going to lose the calendar, so Hillel Hazake and Hillel the Elder established Rosh Chodesh and said it with the authority of the the Beisden for however long we would need it, until we can have a uh, Beisden again. But the mitzvah of declaring Rosh Chodesh is this Pasuk. Happens in Mitzrayim. A couple of points. Number one, you might remember... Rashi began Chumash with a question. His first comment in all of Chumash, Rashi asks the question of, 
Why are we learning about Bereshus? Why are we learning about why the world was created? Why don't we start with... Right here. No, this is what Rashi said. No, this. This Pasuk. Rashi says, why, if, if the Torah is a book of law, it's, if it's a book of mitzvos, start with first mitzvah that's given to the Jewish people. This is the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. The mitzvah to declare Rosh Chodesh. You should start here. And Rashi gives his answer that, no, we need to, why we need to know from the beginning of time. It's worth mentioning. It's, it's worth mentioning. I, I was not going to focus on this, but let's just mention it. Rashi says, why do we start with Bereshis? If, 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 if the first mitzvah is here in Perak Yud Beis of Sefer Shmos. So Rashi says, it's important to you know that God created the world. And since God created the world out of nothing, he could do with it whatever he wants. And lest, this is the amazing thing. That's why I have to say this. Rashi says this. Rashi wrote this in the 10 hundreds. Rashi died in 1105. If anyone were to come and claim, hey Jews, how dare you live in the land of Israel? Listim atem, you're thieves. You stole this land. Because before you were the seven nations, the Chiti, Hayamori, Aprizi, Hayavusi. So if anyone would come and say, well, you came in out of the desert, you kicked out all these other nations, you're thieves. You have no right to be here. If anyone were to say that, Rashi says, We'll say to them, did you forget Chomish? Hashem created everything. He gave the land to those who he saw fit when he wanted to give it to them. And then he gave it to us when he saw fit to give it to us. That's the gift that he promised to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. That's what Rashi wrote in the 1100s. When Rashi wrote that, what country was he living in? That's Spain, France. Rashi's in France. What was going on in the land of Israel at the time? Who was in control? Before the Ottoman Empire was the Muslims. It was the Muslims. And who was trying to take it back from them? Christians. Rashi's going through the Crusades. 1099, 1096, the Crusades begin. Rashi dies in 1105. So when Rashi's writing, he's writing about a land that's right now being run by the Muslims that the Christians believe is theirs and are about to wage a 300-year war to try to take it back. And Rashi begins his commentary on Chumash saying... It's ours. And if anyone ever were to say, you're thieves, you stole this land, they'll say, Bereshis Barel Okim. And it's astounding. It's astounding. You open up a paper in 2024, and what are they saying to the Jews? You stole this land. Like, it's, it's literally the words of, you stole this land. Now, I'm not even getting into the fact that we didn't, but the fact that they say that, Rashi's first comment in Chumash, writing in France, to a Muslim-controlled land that the Christians were trying to take, and the Jews were nothing on the scene. They weren't part of that equation. They were a tiny little community, exiled for a thousand years already from the land of Israel. If anyone ever says, you're a thief, you'll tell them, Bereshis Borel or Kim. And anyway, so Rashi, but that's what, where we otherwise would have started would have been this pasuk of, uh, but it's important for us to know safe vibrations for all the reasons, which is not a discussion for now. But uh, anyway, that's how that starts. Okay. Many of the commentators point out the significance, if you have to choose, what should be the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people in Mitzrayim as a whole, as a nation? Out of the 613, I'm not asking you to create your own mitzvah, but choose. Out of 613 mitzvahs, something has to be the first one taught to the Jewish people as a people. Choose one, you know, what would you go with? Shabbos. Right, yeah, a lot of good ones. You could do Shabbos. Uh, something like the Aserah said, I'm Hashem Elokecha, I'm Hashem, your God. We can come over like lots of good ones. 
How many of us would have come up with Rosh Chodesh? That's the mitzvah that the Jewish people need to know about as the first, it's just probably not on many people's list. So many commentators point out, this is not mine, just to mention the idea, the idea of HaChodesh HaZelochem. This month is yours. This month is yours. What is the one thing, or not, one of, one of many things that a slave does not have, a slave does not have freedom over is time. He's told what to do and when to do it. There's no yearning of time. There's no living in the presence. There's just, there's, you're, you're just not in control. You're, you're dominated by some of the ability to have the freedom to choose what to do with your time, how to live your life, is one of the quintessential freedoms of what it means to be a person who is a free person. And so many commentators point out this idea that in Mitzrayim, as the people are still slaves, working their way out, about to experience two weeks away from the Geula, this redemption, first mitzvah is, now that you're going from slavery, from Geula, from Golas, from Yeshibut, to Geula, to the redemption, what's the first mitzvah you need to know about? Chodesh HaZelachem. This month is yours. It's yours. You need to know that time is one of the most precious commodity that you have. To use it, to use it wisely, to value it, to appreciate it. And that's the mitzvah. That's a much longer discussion, but that's an idea that is uh, mentioned. Any case, let's go back to some of the questions we asked. Moshe and Aaron are both spoken to. So Rashi points out, Rashi points out, because Aaron, what is, what's Aaron's role been until this point? Right? He's like Moshe's sidekick. He's the, he's the person who's going to help be his uh, mouthpiece to come with him. But who's, who's the glory? Moshe's the glory. And Aaron is, is helping him out. So Rashi uses a beautiful language. Now that we're getting the first mitzvah, Rashi says, Aaron, who was also the Torah b'mosim k'moshe, he was, he was busy. He toiled with all of the special signs and the mouthpiece. He was busy. Cholok lo kavod b'mitzvah rishona. He was given a special honor. The, the, the kavod, Aaron, you did so much. So now that this dibor, this particular communication, is not just go to Paro, do this, go do that, but I'm giving you a mitzvah to the Jewish people. Aaron, I want you to be here for this. And so Hashem calls Aaron in as well, that Aaron should be there to receive that kavod of being part of this particular uh, first program. The Ramban adds that Moshe and Aaron um, represent the Jewish people. It when it was the two of them together, they're like, Omeid b'makom haklal. They stood. They, when it's Moshe and Aaron together, it was as if Hashem was speaking to the entirety of uh, the Jewish people. And uh, Rashi has one other point, that uh, one of the laws that's being taught here, Rosh Chodesh, is that the two, the judges have to be mumchen, they have to be experts, like Moshe and Aaron. You can't just, not anything, you can't just get three Joes and put them together and say, declare Rosh Chodesh, it doesn't work that way. You need to know what's going on. It's a very complicated set of halachas. They needed to be experts like Moshe and uh, Aaron. Okay, where are they? They are in Eretz Mitzrayim. They're in the land of Mitzrayim. Rashi points out, I spoke about this on uh, Friday night um, <coughs> in Shul last week, and Rashi here comments on this as well, that the, the land of Mitzrayim was to highlight not in the city where Paro lived. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron in the land of Mitzrayim, meaning outside of the main cities. And why wouldn't he speak to Moshe and Aaron inside the main cities? So Rashi tells us, for the same reason that when Moshe, in the end of last week's parsha, the end of the seventh plague, which was hell, when Hashem says to, <coughs> Moshe says to Paro, I'll end it. You want me to end it? I'll end it when I leave the city. 
Why do I need to leave the city? Because there was so much avodazara, so much idolatry, pagan beliefs in the city and in the palace. Moshe didn't want to speak to Hashem there. He wanted to go out, and therefore he leaves the city, so to speak, before being able to, to daven. And so he, Rashi points that out here as well. When Hashem speaks to Moshe and to Aaron, to give him a mitzvah, I don't want to give you this mitzvah inside all the pagan, all the... I, I don't want to do it here. So it was an Eretz Mitzrayim, but like outside of the main, uh, outside of the main uh, cities. Okay, moving forward. So um, the Ramban addresses a very fundamental problem here. According to the Pasuk, this main mitzvah, HaChodesh HaZelachem, this is your month. It's going to be the Rosh Chodesh in the first of all the months. Rishon Hulachem, the first of the months. Like several different times you have that highlight. There's a very obvious problem. And that is, when is the actual beginning of the year? What Yantiv, I'll give you a hint. What Yantiv do we celebrate to mark the beginning of the year? Rosh Hashanah, very good. Rosh Hashanah, which translates into? In the beginning of the year. Who can tell me what month Rosh Hashanah takes place in? It's Tishrei. It's Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. So what does it mean? What does it mean that we're now declaring, the Pasuk is declaring, if those of you here were Minchamarv last night, so we're going to go over the Rambam we spent then. What does it mean that the Torah says, Nisan is the first month? It's not the first month. Rosh Hashanah. Tishrei is very confusing for children in school when they learn. You know, Eddie, what, what number month is Tishrei actually? It's the seventh month. So when the Torah talks about Rosh Hashanah, it says you'll make a Yantiv on the first day of the... Seventh month of the year, and what do we call that Yantiv on the seventh month of the year? Rosh Hashanah. Like, how could the Rosh Hashanah be on the seventh month of the year? Does it like certain things are like complicated in Judaism, right? This seems like really as an odd thing. So Rabbana asks this question: What does it mean that the Torah calls it Rosh Chodeshim? Nisan is the Rosh Chodeshim. It's not. Rosh Hashanah happens in Tishrei. So Rabban gives very straightforward, important answer, which we will uh, express in a couple of different ways. Says the Ramban. There are two, um, two planes that we focus on, that we function in. One is the beginning of the year, and one is a zikaron b'nes hagadol, a remembrance of this great miracle. And we have a, me- a mitzvah to remember the miracle of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. This was such a major event in Jewish history that we were slaves of Mitzrayim that we left. Not only do we make an entire yantiv about it, and not just stamayantiv, but ayantiv like bezar, cleaning the house, and the chametz, and the matzah, the seder. Not only do we make ayantiv, but there's a mitzvah, as you know, every day, lizkor, to remember, zecher liyetziyas mitzrayim. We have a mitzvah to remember. Every, but so there's a, a whole yantiv dedicated to, towards that. But every day, there's a mitzvah to remember, too, as we do in davening, it's here in Az Yashir, um, in, in Shema, the third paragraph, and we mentioned Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. There's a mitzvah to remember Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. One of the manifestations, says the Ramban, of the, the mitzvah to remember Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is we always count the months based on when we left Mitzrayim. It becomes the first. And since it's the first, it's the central piece. So that whenever you list a month, and the Torah does not have any names for months. There's not a single name of a month. Not Elul, Tishrei, Nisan, Cheshvan, Shvat. None of them is ever mentioned in the Torah. 
How does the Torah refer to months of the year? By the number. It so happened in the second month on the third day. Or you'll make me a yantiv on the tenth day of the seventh month. Always listing the number of the month. Of the, which month is it? What does that mean when, if I say the seventh month? It always forces you to say, seventh, seventh month from, from what? What are you counting from? Oh, from Nisan. So every single time you mention a month, the tenth month, the eleventh month, the second month, you're always, in effect, referencing back to when it's counting from, which is Nisan. Oh, Nisan! Hey, Nisan's our favorite month. What happened in Nisan? We left Mitzrayim. Oh, you just fulfilled a mitzvah. So as a Zecher Lenes, we always put it that way. Where else do we do this? Thurman points this out. What does the Torah call Monday? Right? Is there, is there ever, we don't have a name for Monday. What does Monday actually mean? Right? It's the moon day. It's, a, it's a, some pagan belief in different Tuesday, Wednesday. All of those are like, those are pagan names for days of the week. What are, in Judaism, in Torah, Navi, in traditional, in Gemara, we always refer to it as? Rish, what, so, and what's the full name? Hayom Yom Shani Shabbos. What am I counting from if I say it's the third day? What are you counting from? If you say the third day, you have to be counting from something. Oh yeah, from Shabbos. Hayom Yom Rishon the Shabbos. Every day at the end of Davening, when you say the Yom, Hayom Yom Rishon the Shabbos, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of Zacharis Yom HaShabbos Nekadu. We have a mitzvah to remember Shabbos. And so we count days in a way that we are always remembering Shabbos. It's Yom Shishi. Today's Yom, it's Friday. Today's Yom Revi. The Revi of what? Yom Revi'i L'Shabbos. It's the fourth day from Shabbos. And therefore, I'm always remembering Shabbos because it's the centerpiece of what I remember. These two examples, says the Ramban, are fulfillments of the mitzvah. Of, we don't count months because we always want to, excuse me, we don't have names for months because we always want to reference Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. So we call it, Torah calls it the second month, the sixth month, the eighth month. And we don't reference days. We don't give names to days because also we always want to count from, from Shabbos. And we fulfill the mitzvahs in both of them. Parenthetically, if you ever come across a pious Jew who refuses to use the date 2024, you'll know why. Because again, whenever you count, you always have to say, like, what am I counting from? So if I say, this is the year 2024, well, what are you counting from? Well, I don't want to count from that. Why is that relevant that I'm counting from when the Christians believe was the birth of Jesus? That's not inter- I'm, not, I'm not interested in that. I don't believe in that. And whether or not that was actually the date that he was born is a separate discussion historically, but that's, that's irrelevant. So 5784, what am I counting from? The birth of Adam Arishon. Oh, that's the date I'm interested in counting. Today's 5784. Um, again, 5784 is the birth of Adam on day six. What happened before that? How long that took? That's a, I'm not getting into any of that. But from Adam Arishon, I can count 5,784 years. That's a date that makes sense to me to count. 2024, not interested. So that's, that's why you'll, get, you'll, you'll find people who, pious Jews in Israel today, will only use, only use the Hebrew dates, and they'll use the months. We'll get to the months in a second. Um, and the days of the week are Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. That's what we, uh, that is what we do. Okay. The show has a lot of pious Jews too. A lot of pious Jews. We, we use that number too. By 5784? 
Yeah. Anarchy, yes, that's right. <laughs> very good. That's a very, very, very pious. Excellent. True. Now, um, okay, this leaves us, says the Ramban, with, however, a major question. A major question. Because you are all familiar. When I asked you what month is Rosh Hashanah take place in, nobody really said, oh, the seventh month, you said, takes place in the month of? Tishrei. And if I ask you, what month does Purim take place in? No one says the 12th month or the 11th month. You say, Adar. Where did, the, where did that come in from? And everybody uses it. Not only does everybody use it, when we bench Rosh Chodesh benching, do we say on Tuesday is going to be the sixth month of the year? We say, no, it's going to be the month of Shvat or Tishrei. We, we use the names. And if you ever listen to the way Aksuv is read under the chuppah, we say, here at Poe, we say, Bayom Sheni Lashabbos. We, we keep that, right? It never says Tuesday. It says, Bayom Rishon Lashabbos. Shlosha, um, we say, whatever. Esrim Vishlosha Yom in 22 days, Lechodesh. And we, we list the month. What happened? The Ramban says there are no names because we want to be Mekayim, the mitzvah of Zechel Etzias Mitzrayim. But we put names in. Where did those names come from? So they came from Babel. They came Babylonian names. They came with the Navi, the Babylonian Nevi'im. In Megillus Esther, we have months already named. In Megillus Esther, it, it describes it. Um, we, have, we have months. So what, what, we don't, those are non-Jewish names. These are Babylonian names of the months. How did they somehow work their way into uh, our way of identifying time when it's against... Rishon Hu Lachem. This is your first month, and we call everything based on Nisan. We only call numbers. We don't have, we don't have names for the months. How did that happen? It's an important question. Ban says an amazing thing. Ban says an amazing thing. Ki mitchila lo hayulam We didn't have any names. In the beginning, Jews were, we called months by the number of month they were. The eighth month, the tenth month. Because we wanted to remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. However, something fundamental changed after Bavo. These names came from Bavo. When did they come into the Jewish people in Bavo? When the Jewish people returned from Bavel, the Babylonian exile, after the Purim story, the Persian exile, they came back home. And they brought home the Babylonian names that they had of the months. Kasher Alinu Mi Bavel. When we came home, we didn't just bring Babylonian culture and names with us. We fulfilled that which the Navi Yirmiyahu prophesied about. Yirmiyahu was at the end of the first destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, but he left us with a prophecy: "You're going to go into exile. It's going to be. A, we now know a seventy-year-long exile. But when you come back, he told us the Navi: They will no longer say how great is Hashem who took us out of Mitzrayim." Ki'im, what will they say instead? Chai Hashem, Asher Hele, Vasher Hevius B'nei Yisrael, Me'eretz Tzafon, who brought the Jews back from the land of the north. The miracles, the return was going to be such that we were going to supplant the Zechel Etzias Mitzrayim, and we were going to remember the Geula, the redemption that we had from that first major exile. And how did we acknowledge that redemption? We used the months. We named our months based on what we had in Bavel. Lahazkir to remind us, Kishom Amadu. That's where we once lived. 
That's where we were. Umisham ha'elonu Hashem. Hashem took us out of there. So we took we took the names of them in the same way as we used to call it the third month of the year. Third month, third month from Nisan. Nisan, Pesach, Yitzhak, Mitzrayim. When we came back from Bavel and rebuilt the second base of Mikdash, we took with us the names of the months. So we, when we would now say Shvat, Tammuz, Elo, Tishrei, what kind of names are these? These are Babylonian names of months. We were there. Remember the exile. Remember we spent all those years there. Remember the Purim story. That was a disaster we almost had. Hashem saved us. He brought us back. We returned home. We built the base of Mikdash. We're going to use those names now. We still have a mitzvah to remember Mitzrayim. We still say the third paragraph of Shema to remember Mitzrayim every day. We still have a Yantav of Pesach. But now we also want to put into our culture, our daily existence, a reminder we were exiled, we were kicked out of our homes, but we came back. Shem brought us back from these lands. And therefore, therefore we have names of the months that remind us that we were exiled and we returned home. So uh, I find this, it's an amazing comment. What's going to be? So now the question is, so now what's going to happen? Hashem should bring us home soon. Are we going to now call the months December and June and August? We should remember, remember that American exile. Remember what it was like when we were Jews living in, oh my goodness, that was a crazy time. Now we're home. We'll remember it because we'll, we'll call the months based on the way that the exiled Jews of the land called the land. But, well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. The Ramban says, originally the months were remembered Mitzrayim. When we came back after the first exile, we used Babylonian names to remember that. When the second exile ends, and we now, this long exile, we return home, will we take the names of the months, or will we keep it Shvat and Tammuz? I don't know. Those are solar I don't know. There's like solar months. They don't really fit so well. I don't know. I don't know what the Babylonians did, but that's, that's what the Ramban says. So as, uh, as we've been focusing on these last couple of uh, really months on, on ideas that are relevant to, uh, to the time period that we're in, as we yearn for Geul, as we yearn for redemption, as we're reading through these parshios, so this is what we read. This Achodesh HaZelachem was the highlighting, the, the, the Geulah that was about to happen in Mitzrayim. And the months, the way we referred to the months reflected that, just like they reflect them in the way that we refer to the Yom Sheni B'Shabbos, the days of the week, only get a, day, a number to always refer us as to the centerpiece of uh, Shabbos is at the center of uh, everything. We switched to Babylonian names when we returned from the exile of uh, Bavel. And Mir uh, Hashem, we'll see what happens when uh, we return home again. Uh, how, we, how we will refer to the months then. But what I, what I would conclude with is that the Nevi'im have told us over and over again that this final redemption will dwarf not just the Babylonian return, will dwarf Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim when, uh, when Hashem returns us. We could see that he's setting it up, that the whole world is focusing right now on the land of Israel. The whole world is uh, with all sorts of libels and blasphemous claims about, about Jews. He's set it up where there'll be this Ani Yosef moment. The whole world will be like, wow, I, I can't, who knew? It's uh, as, uh, as where we're headed. So what, what we'll call the months will be just a small, a small little detail in, in all of that. But uh, that's what we yearn for as we read through these Geula Parshios of uh, Parshas Bo, Vishalach, Yisro, Mir Tzashem, over the next coming weeks. Then it should be a time of Geula for the, uh, for the Jewish people. All right. So we will, uh, you guys want to meet tomorrow?